Good morning. It's great to sing about heaven, and now we're going to look at God's Word together and see what will heaven be like. This is the second in a two-part uh, sermon series that I'm sharing on uh, what will heaven be like. If you weren't here last week and missed the first part, you can watch or listen to it on our website. You can buy a CD in our bookstore to catch up. But let me review for just a moment. Last week, just sort of laid a foundation for what heaven is going to be like, and we saw that uh, beyond the sky, the first heaven, and beyond the stars, outer space, the second heaven, is a third heaven, the dwelling of God, and believers' spirits go there when they die to be with Him and be with those who have gone before. But we also saw that our ultimate hope is not just that dwelling of God in the heavens, but that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, that we're going to live on a refurbished earth with trees and rocks and skies and stars and waterfalls and butterflies and birds. It's going to be the like Eden recreated where we will work and worship and live with joy. Well, today we're going to look at the relationships of heaven. Who's going to be there? What are our relationships going to be like? What are we going to know? What are we going to, how are we going to relate to people and to God? Now, let me say at the beginning, uh, some people uh, think, oh, all this talk about heaven, that's pretty impractical. We don't know everything about it. It's just pie in the sky, by and by, you know, and why, why talk about that? Listen, I believe that your view of heaven dramatically impacts how you live on this earth. You see, there are radical Islamic jihadists who are blowing themselves up in Egyptian churches and killing people. Why are they doing that? Because their view of heaven is martyrdom is the certain path to paradise. And so those young men have been taught that the sure way for them to get to heaven where they'll have 72 virgins is the, uh, the Islamic view of paradise then that's that sure path. So you see, their view of heaven is partly fueling their actions here on earth. On a positive note, those who are battling for pro-life largely come from a Christian view, not only of creation in the past, but heaven in the future, believing that every individual is going to have an existence in a resurrection body in heaven. If you have a Buddhist worldview of heaven, that we're just all absorbed into the all, you don't have any individual existence. You're just absorbed into the all when you're gone. Then there is not that motivation, in my opinion, to care about the individual rights of every single person. Or if you have a Hindu view of heaven in which there is an endless cycle of reincarnations, you just got another shot coming, then again, there is not that individual existence in a resurrection body for all eternity that fuels our care for weak individuals. So I think heaven, your view of heaven, has a great impact on how we live now. Well, let's look at some questions about heaven. First of all, who will be in heaven? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24 gives us a quick overview of that. It lists the inhabitants of heaven, five groups or individuals who will be in heaven. And it says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So if you're a believer in Christ, you've already come to this assembly. You're already a part of it. Here's who you're going to see in heaven. First of all, number one, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Angels are going to be in heaven. Millions of angels. 
God's creation is beyond our imagination. He created not only humans, not only thousands of kinds of butterflies and trees, but he created all different kinds of angelic beings who are ministering to us individually in ways that we do not know now. And we're going to meet them one day. We're going to meet the angels whom God has created. And the second group in heaven, and it says, and you've come, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And so we're going to be united or reunited with all of the church, all of those whose names are written in heaven. So I want to be a part of the church because the church is in heaven, right? And the true church, those whose names are written in heaven, is there. And so believers past and present, and maybe if you die, there'll be believers future beyond you, and we're going to be together, and you'll get to know them and to see them there. And then, third, you've come to God center of heaven. We're going to talk about our relationship, talk about several of these relationships. You've come to God, the judge of all. And then number four, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Who does that refer to? I believe it refers to Old Testament saints, like those listed in the chapter before, Hebrews 11, as a roll call of some of the great people of faith in the Old Testament, believers who did not yet have all the full knowledge of Christ, but they had put their faith in the God that they knew and were looking forward to the promise, and so they're going to be there. And Jesus said in another place, he said, many will come from the east and the west and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And man, we're going to get to meet those people uh, in heaven. And then, number five, fifth in this list of the inhabitants of heaven, you have come, verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and his sprinkled blood. We'll see Jesus. Well, let me, uh, how are we going to relate to these inhabitants of heaven? Let me try to answer some questions. I don't know the answers to all these, and I'll tell you when I don't, but we're going to think about them together and see what the Bible says to us about them. Number one, will we recognize family and friends in heaven? I think the answer to that is very certainly yes. I agree with what George McDonald said. George McDonald said, you think we're going to be greater fools in paradise than we are here on earth? I know some people here on earth, don't you? I think I'm going to know them in heaven as well. And... Uh, some people would say, well, you know, when Jesus appeared in his resurrection body, they had a, sort of a hard time recognizing him that first day. Well, they weren't expecting that. They, they, hadn't, they were not ready for that. And I want to show you something in, in Luke chapter 24, verses 15 through 16, about the resurrection appearance of Jesus to the two disciples walking to Emmaus. And it says in Luke 24, verse 15, as they did talk, and discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So you see, I think the implication of that verse is Jesus in his resurrection body looked like Jesus in his old body, and he was recognizable, but Jesus needed to instruct them. And it tells in the passage that follows that he spent the rest of the day with them and opened to them all the Old Testament and explained where it had prophesied to them. So he wanted that forum to talk with them, inform them without them going crazy for a while. And so they were kept from recognizing him. Then at the end of the day, in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, it says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he disappeared from their sight. So I think that's the normal pattern there. Uh, our eyes will be opened and we will, you'll know your family, your friends, 
you'll have that recognition in heaven. Beyond that, I believe that you'll recognize people that you haven't ever met before. When Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they recognized Elijah and Moses. Wouldn't it be great? You ever had that where, oh, what's his name? Honey, tell me, tell me what his name is. Here he comes. I don't, I don't remember what his name You ever had that where you can't remember a name? Uh, no name tags in heaven. No forgetting people. I think that we'll recognize and know even those we have not known. Share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. I believe this will be true of our knowledge in heaven. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so to the extent that we are known, we'll know. God knows us fully and we'll, we'll know one another. Wouldn't that be great to meet some of these people and to know and to be reunited with people we have known uh, in heaven. Another question about knowledge that people ask is, will we remember life on earth when we're in heaven? And some people say, well, you know, that, that would be tough. You know, there have been some bad things happening in life. What if you were a victim of a crime or, or the brokenness and the hurt of life? And some would point to Isaiah 65, 17, where God talks about the new heaven and the new earth, and he says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And so some would point to that verse and say, See, well, you're not going to remember anything of the former life in heaven. I don't think that's what that verse means. I believe that it means that the, the glory of heaven will be so great, we don't even think about those past hurts. Uh, that they don't even come to mind. And if you look at the verse before there, I don't have it on the screen, but it talks about the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from our eyes. So I don't think it means that we will not have the capacity to remember life, but we will see those things from a different perspective so that they don't even come to mind. Let me show you a couple of verses that it seems to indicate that in heaven, there are going to be memorials in heaven memorials to the salvation that we've experienced in history and to life on earth. For example, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 12, it says of the city of Jerusalem, uh, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a memorial in heaven to the salvation history of God through Israel. You think we're going to get there and say, wonder what those 12 names are. I don't know. Do you know? No, I don't know. I don't know what the, where that means. No, we're going to remember that history of the Old Testament. And then next in Revelation 21, 14, it says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I think we'll remember all of that. All the songs of Revelation are about songs of praise to Jesus for the blood of the Lamb that purchased our salvation. You think we're going to forget all of that? No, I think we're going to have such great worship is going to come because God has saved us from our sins and we are so grateful and we remember His deliverance and the death of Jesus on cross and the sweep of salvation history through the Old and the New Testament. And we, although I think we'll still know all that's happened, but there will be such a perspective like God's perspective Perspective, that we see even troubles and failures in a far different light. And God will bring justice and mercy and we will praise him for that justice 
and mercy. Related to that, do people in heaven know what's happening on earth now? I can't be dogmatic about this. I don't know for sure. The Bible just doesn't tell us exactly, but I believe the answer is yes from some things that I infer. Let me show them to you. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it talks about those who die for their faith and who are waiting in heaven for the return of Christ. And it says in Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, and there's a lot of symbolic language here, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, uh, were killed just as they had been. So they have, it seems to me, those martyrs have an awareness of what has happened to them before and they are longing for God to bring victory and to come in victory. And he says, he says, people are dying down there, Lord, how long? Let's get this show on the road. Let's wrap this thing up here, Lord. And God says, my time. There's a full number that must come in and you wait a little longer. But you see the awareness that they apparently have In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, after it talks about all those Old Testament saints who have gone on before, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Now, what does that phrase, a great cloud of witnesses, mean? It obviously means that we see their faith and they're an example to us to run the race. But when you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the implication to me is that they see you. They are a witness to you. They're in the stadium watching you from heaven while you run the race. So although I cannot be dogmatic, my belief is that those believers that you love who have gone on before you are now in the grandstands as you're running the race and they're saying, run, run. With perseverance, run. Don't give up. It's worth it all when you get to heaven. And they are urging you on. And I think, uh, I think that the, your loved ones who have gone on before you, my, in my view, are a great cloud of witnesses to the continuing bat- spiritual warfare that's going on in earth. And they're saying, you run the race. I believe that those believers there in heaven join Christ in his intercessory ministry there. Heaven sometimes talks about the prayers of the saints. And I believe they're praying for you. I believe they're encouraging you and praying for you. That you will be faithful to the end. That you'll run the race for Jesus Christ. And that ought to be an encouragement to you as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Well... People sometimes ask, will we be married in heaven? If you're married here on earth, will you be married in heaven? And some of you who have a happy marriage are thinking, thinking, I hope so. And some of you are saying, oh, please let the answer be. (laughs) Mormons, Mormons say yes. Mormons say that if you are married in their temple then there's different parts to heaven in their view, and you'll go to the terrestrial kingdom, a different planet from other people, and on that planet you'll be married for all eternity 
to the person that you were married to in their temple. I've been to the temple in Atlanta before it was dedicated. They let non-Mormons take a tour. And in the room where they marry people, they have mirrors on all four walls. And it creates a weird effect. You know, it's just you just see things forever. And the symbolism is that if you're married at that little altar in the center of that room, then you'll be married for all eternity. And you'll be on a planet where you'll continue to populate that planet through your marriage. That's the Mormon um, teaching on, on heaven. Mormons say yes. Jesus says emphatically, no, I'm going to go with Jesus on this one and uh, say that maybe he's right on this because we don't have to guess about this. Jesus clearly says that you will not be married uh, to the person that you're married to on earth in heaven, that marriage, as you take your marriage vows, is till death do us part. And so Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 29 was asked a question in the verses before that. I won't read the question. Sadducees tried to trip him up, and they said, there's this guy, he's been married several different times, and so who's he going to be married to in the resurrection? They were trying to make Jesus look foolish. And Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. So angels do not marry, and this is where some people get the idea, oh, we're going to become angels, but what he's saying here is at that, in that respect, we will be like the angels, and that is there will not be uh, marriage to one another in heaven. And uh, some of you think, oh man, you mean my, my spouse whom I love deeply here on earth is just going to be foreign to me in heaven? I don't expect that to be the case at all. Uh, I expect it. I'm probably going to get to heaven before Cindy does because uh, most men get to heaven before their husbands, before their wives do. And I expect that when I get there and and then she gets there, I'm not going to say, Hi, how are you? It's good to know you. I expect that I'm going to run and and wrap my arms around her and, and be so glad to see her. But heaven will be a different kind of relationship than it is here upon earth. And I know that's hard for us to understand right now, but all of the joys of earth are just a preview of the joy of heaven. So a marital intimacy will not be in the same way in heaven, but it is preparing us for a greater intimacy because in a sense there will be marriage in heaven. The church will be married to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And so all of the joy of earth, whether it's food or whether it's marital sex or whether it is any other great joy on earth, is preparing us for a higher level of intimacy, joy, and and love than we've ever experienced here. Oh, there'll still be, I believe, that, that love. It won't be lesser. It'll be greater for one another, but there'll be a greater focus. And that's hard for us to understand. It's sort of like uh, Cindy and I have two sons, and when one of them was in uh, kindergarten, he said, Mom, when I grow up, I'm not moving away from home. And she said, well, you might change your mind uh, when you get older. And he said, well, if I do, I'm building a house right next to you and Dad, and that's as far as I'm going. Well, that didn't happen, you know? <laughs> Why? Because in, when you're a child, that's all you can think of. That that, I don't want that relationship to ever change. You can't envision in your childlike state that there could be an even greater 
relationship that would be even better and that you'll develop and change toward that. Do you see how heaven might be that way now? There'll be some things about heaven that you can't see how it would be greater or better. But those, those things, every beautiful sunset, everything you ever experience is just a preparation for the joy and the intimacy in heaven. What age will we be in heaven? And here, you notice I have no scriptures listed if you're looking in the bulletin because the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, we don't know. This is one of those questions we don't know. We'd like to know, uh, and people have, uh, have surmised, uh, Thomas Aquinas, the um, Catholic scholar of the Middle Ages, and it was a predominant teaching throughout the Middle Ages of the church, was we were going to be 33 in heaven peak of physical maturity and the age in which Jesus died. Jesus died at age 33, his resurrection body, he's probably 33, so we're all going to be that age. Is that right? I, I don't know. I don't think that if you die at 100 that you're going to be 100 year old in heaven. I think in some sense we will be at the peak of, of uh, uh, physical uh, power in our resurrection bodies. C.S. Lewis said, he thought we'd all be children in heaven. You know, the childlike faith, the innocent. You ever been happier? You ever had more energy than when you were a kid? You know, in all of his books, the children are the kings and queens of Narnia. He, you don't marry in heaven. Children don't marry. He said we're going to be children in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. One of the questions that people ache to know and we don't know is what about Children who die at an early age as infants, what, how will they be in heaven? Again, some have said in the teaching of the church, they'll be at the age that they would have been uh, when uh, they reached their, their maturity. And others have speculated, could it be that mothers robbed of raising children would have that opportunity? Could there be growth to maturity in heaven? Could it be that... Uh, There'll be children in heaven that grow up. In, in, in Isaiah 11, it talks about when the wolf will lie down with the lamb and a little child will lead them and the infant will play by the hole of a cobra and the little child will put his hand in the viper's nest and they'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And some would say, no, that's speaking of the millennium on earth, time of rain when there would be children, but... Uh, and some would say, well, it's just symbolic of safety and security. We can't read into that. And, and maybe that's true. I'm simply saying we don't know. We wonder, would God give that as he restores all things? Would those aborted children who do not have the opportunity to grow up on earth be even better to grow up in heaven? I don't know. We just don't know. We don't know what age will be in heaven. But again... Could you trust that, that with God, could you trust God that it'll be better than, than you could plan it out? Could you trust him on that? You know, that, that you'd say, uh, well, we don't know, I don't know. You know, I hear people sometimes say about heaven, oh, I don't think I'd like that. I don't I think I'd like that. As if you're the arbiter of what you're going to like and what's good, you know? Can't you trust God who saved you from your sins that heaven will be beyond our imagination? Well, let's move to the greatest relationship. And the question is, will we see God? 
And emphatically and clearly, the answer is yes. This will be not as much as we think about reunion with family and friends and those we've had to say goodbye to and burial here upon earth. As much as we think about those joys which are legitimate joys of heaven, far surpassing them will be the great desire of our lives and we will see God. We were created for a relationship with God and we had that in Eden and God and Adam and Eve were together and then Adam and Eve sinned. An immediate result of their sin was they hid themselves from God. The relationship was broken and they didn't want to be seen by God in their shame and in their sin. And ever since then, there's been a distance between our holy God and sinful man. And and Moses, who was so close to God, asked to see God. God, would you let me see your face? And he said, you can't see my face and live, and I'll hide you in a cleft of a rock and pass by so that you catch a glimpse of my glory, Moses, but you'll not see my face. And 1 Timothy says that God lives in unapproachable light, which no one has ever seen or can see. Sinful people cannot cast their eyes upon holy God. But when we're remade in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will see him And that will be the greatest joy and pleasure beyond the new heaven and the new earth, beyond seeing relatives and friends, that will be the greatest. Let me read to you what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 24. As he was praying the night before his crucifixion, he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Oh, when you have something, you want somebody to see it, don't you? You ever had your kids say, watch this, watch this, watch me. You know, you want to you share something great with people. Jesus says, I want them to see my glory, the glory I had before the creation of the world. And Jesus' prayer will be answered and we will see the glory of God. Now, when we see God, are we going to see the Trinity? Three persons in one? Are we going to see the Father and the Son? Are we just going to see Jesus? I don't know. Thought a lot about that. I don't know. Uh, In the vision in Revelation 4 and 5, There's God upon the throne, and he is just pictured as inapproachable light. And then there's a lamb who comes, and there's Jesus. So it seems like there that perhaps in heaven we would see the the glory of the Father, and we know we're going to see Jesus. Jesus is going to be in his resurrection body. He took on at his incarnation a body for us to die for us. He's risen in a new glorified body, ascended to heaven. He's going to be, he took on humanity forever for us. We're going to see Jesus in a resurrection body in heaven. Is that that the the way that we'll see all of God? I I don't know. Let me show you one more passage in in Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve them or Him? Him, singular pronoun. So it started out, they'll see there's God and the Lamb, and some places in Revelation it will use a plural pronoun, them, but here it doesn't. It says him, 
And it says, and they will see their face or his face? His face and his name will be on their foreheads. Does that mean that all the, the visible embodiment of the glory of God is in Jesus? I don't know. You, you work on that. I don't know. But we're going to see God. And that is what we are created for. And that is the greatest joy of heaven. And maybe you don't even feel like, well, I don't know, what's seeing God? What's great about that? Listen, if you, have, if you don't have any urge to see God, let me say to you, that's where, what you were created for, whether you know it or not. I had a friend, uh, or I knew a guy one time who had some ducks. Ducks are made for water. They've got big, flat, webbed feet. They can survive without water, but they were made for water. Their feet are made for water. Their beaks are made for water. Their feathers are made to shed water. The streamlined shape of their body is made for water. Chickens are not made for water. You throw a chicken into a pond, it won't like it. That, that's entirely hypothetical, not a story from my childhood, I just want to say. <laughs> ducks are made for water. So the guy that I knew had ducks, and he didn't have any water. He sold the ducks to another guy who had a pond. And when he first took those ducks to the pond, they didn't know what to do. And they had to sort of herd them in. But when they got them in, they immediately loved it. And they bobbed and they flapped and they, and they, they dove and they swam. And they were home. They were what they were meant to be forever, but they didn't know it. And it was sort of hard to get them there. You were made for a relationship with God. And when you get to heaven, everything about you is going to fit to what God has made you for, a relationship with Him. And some of you right now, you're, you can have that relationship with God beginning now. And I'm like that duck herder trying to get you down the aisle. Say, this is what you were made for, you know. And you come to him, and you'll find that fit. And when you get to heaven, it'll be the perfect pond. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you, if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, to come down one of these aisles and say, I want to follow Jesus. I believe in him. I want to go to heaven. And then when you get to heaven, it'll be that fulfillment of your life. You were made for a relationship with God, and your great joy will not be deprived of you until you come to him. Would you come to God through Jesus Christ, his son? We invite you to walk down here and meet a pastor. Need a church home? We want to invite you to come and join. I want somebody to pray with. Maybe you're going through a tough time. You hang in there. Somebody will pray with you today. Let's sing together.